0: Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect,
1: and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. Go about anything you do with a lot of intent, not just doing it for the sake of it or what's the thing to be done or what other people are doing, but what is the purpose? Why is it important to you? What's How can you contribute to Broader society or other people, and and kind of holding yourself account to 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 that, and um, always, you know, I think that's the key to being ultimately fulfilled and, and contributing as best you can to the broader um, broader population as well, hopefully. Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, and it's great to be back
0: with you here as always. Well, those were the wise words of our little Patreon Humans of Purpose Plus exclusive section with uh, Lyndon Galea, who is the founder of Eat Up. Lyndon is a huge supporter and champion of Humans of Purpose. He knew about it before I told him about it, which is just amazing, uh, last year when we met, early in the year. And um, it's great to check back in with Lyndon and hear what he's been up to. He's involved in the Williamson program. He's a Westpac social change fellow, so he's been traveling quite broadly. And he's also rolling out Eat Up nationally, so it was a really great time to reconnect with Lyndon and hear what he's been up to uh, in the years since we last caught up. Now, a quick check-in. I just want to make sure listeners are getting the monthly EDM that we send out, the monthly newsletter called The Purpose. If you're not doing so, I implore you to do it. Head to humansofpurpose.com, and there's a little sign-up form there, or I'll pop a link in the show notes. That's the way that I can connect with you and share links with you, which is quite hard to do over a podcast, as well as my monthly blog, news, uh, upcoming events, quality links, and also um, the month's podcast. So you get the whole wrap there of uh, four episodes of the month in that newsletter. So yeah, make sure you're signed up. I've also got um, a fairly big announcement to make in our upcoming newsletter that will be Tuesday morning. Purposeful is looking at producing a new podcast uh, focused on chronic homelessness in Australia. We're going to do a series, it's going to be six to eight episodes, looking at the root causes of homelessness, um, going very deep with uh, some key stakeholders and experts in this space, and also talking to those most impacted by homelessness, the people on the streets. So I'd love to hear your feedback about that, and I'd equally love you to make sure you have subscribed to our newsletter so that you get the first word about that hot off the press on uh, Tuesday morning at about 10.15. I want to send a quick shout-out, as always, to our wonderful Patreon supporters. Our community, including Bonnie B, Stuart M, Joel F, McCartan, and Admission D Times 2, enable us to make a really high-quality podcast every week uh, without as much pressure on the bottom line. So thank you very much for that, guys. Um, I'd urge you to, if you do want to support the podcast and get behind the show and receive some great rewards in the process, just click the link in our show notes, and uh, you'll also be one of those aforementioned in our wonderful, supportive community. One perk that our Patreon supporters all get is an extra 20% every week of content uh, that is our deep dive into our guests' uh, lives, including um, a really curated set of questions around purpose, meaning, values, routine, um, expression, and really how they live their best possible life. If you enjoyed uh, Lyndon's opening quote today to kick off the show, that's the kind of stuff uh, that our Patreon-exclusive uh, Humans of Purpose Plus segment is littered with. Um, there's some great insights in there each and every week from our um, fascinating guests, and they've actually really enjoyed doing this segment too. So uh, if you would like to get that and more, do consider becoming a Patreon supporter, and you know where the link is in the show notes. Otherwise, head to humansofpurpose.com support. Mate, it's been too long. Welcome back, Lyndon. Far too long. Thank you, Mike. Good what, to be back. What has it been? Uh, about 15 months since you were last in the studio? I think so. I think it has. We've got headphones now. There's matcha tea. There's cyrals. Oh, it's um, <laughs>
1: a very impressive upgrade.
0: It was already a high standard and, and only increased. <laughs> and what's happening? You've repainted your, your truck's a delightful new green colour?
1: Oh, yes. We've got uh, Norma out there in her original green, but Norma. we've also got some additional vans on the road there. So we've got a, a pink one called Sandra, a blue van called Malcolm. And an orange van called Charlie, who are actually named respectively after my nan, my pa, my mum, and my dad. So I love it. Um,
0: always keep you in the family. That's right. Yeah. Mates, um, for those who haven't heard our last episode, and I'll link to it in the show notes, can you just give me a really quick overview of Eat Up? Yeah. Uh, what you do there and uh, how it all started? Maybe just the short version.
1: Absolutely. So the, the premise of Eat Up is a, a really simple one. So we provide free lunches to disadvantaged school kids who would otherwise miss out. And it was in 2013, uh, that eat up started actually began in Shepparton in country Victoria, which is my hometown. And there was an article in our local paper that profiled a couple of schools where kids were regularly being sent to school without anything at all from home. And I was totally taken aback by that. I just always assumed in a country as lucky as ours that all kids would have access to a lunch and reading about it and it being so close. To home and, and me loving Shepparton very dearly and, and a mid-sized country town, sort of assuming that perhaps if I didn't do anything to help, it would be unlikely that circumstances would change anytime soon for these kids. I just had the the very simple idea, nothing grand or complex, but um, if they were missing out on lunch, what if I was to simply make them one myself at home and this was in mum and dad's kitchen at the time and I, I nicked what I could from my mum's cupboards and bought a bit of extra bread and together with her help and some friends, we we made a hundred sandwiches for each of the two schools and and drop them off there to to start the schools. And then since, to sort of fast track, we've created this model that engages big groups of volunteers to help prepare the sandwiches, leverages the generosity of, of uh, national brands like Coles and Goodman Fielder, Carmen's, Pillars Foods, the Fruit Box Group, who donate us whether it's bread, margarine, cool room space. And um, we operate on a delivery cycle where we're delivering and preparing cheese sandwiches. Um, we drop the sandwiches off fresh to the schools And on a three-weekly basis so that volume will fluctuate based upon the level of need of that school Mm -hmm. the school frees those sandwiches when they arrive and that's really key because it gives control back to those same teachers who previously were often making lunches for these kids on the fly spending their own money to do so and even giving the kids their own lunch on occasion the Mm -hmm. teachers would miss out so they have now got control to identify the kids distribute it to them in a way that's sensitive to any potential embarrassment yes they'll Mm -hmm. often toast those sandwiches up and from our point of view, that's how we've scaled. So we're actually helping 548 schools now across uh, Victoria, but now also New South Wales and, and Queensland, and it's our, our major aspiration to to support hungry kids nationally. So it started to be a bigger endeavour when I became aware of the one in eight Australian kids who arrive at school hungry every day. And, and with the great support of volunteers and, and our team and supporters, we're, we're working our way to help those kids as quickly as we can. That's the
0: quickest most comprehensive rap i could have too dreamed of that was incredible <laughs> in three minutes the, the amount of ground you covered and so there's the element as well that you've added into the chain which i think is really interesting is the corporate part and you know mm. the, getting workplaces to help be part of that value chain um in the name of doing good um as part of you know growing workplace culture doing the right thing and also giving back to community that's become a big part of what you do too now
1: it absolutely has, and that's like really initially the corporate volunteering started, not so much because we saw it as, as an opportunity and we initiated it, but we had so many corporate groups who were reaching out to us saying how can we help, our, our staff would love to contribute to help make sandwiches, and eventually it was really us acquiescing and saying, well, there's there's just such a, a, a volume here of support that would be foolish not to try and leverage it, and, and then we've started to work with these groups, and I think what makes it so accessible and, and also convenient Um, for them and for us, is we actually host the corporate volunteering events with them on site where they work. So it doesn't even necessarily have to be a a, a professional kitchen space, but whether it's an open plan office or a boardroom, and we have the the tables, we bring in table covers and gloves, we bring all the equipment and food with us, um, prepare on site, and then sort of make them and take them directly to the schools or to the cool room. And that's also worked in the respect that it saves us a huge fundraising cost Mm -hmm. in, in terms of having a kitchen ourselves and it's also made the volunteer market so much bigger because we're not sort of geographically limited to any one area, but we can work with groups everywhere, whether in the city or the country or otherwise. So it's been really positive.
0: So I'm curious to learn what have you learned in the past uh, 15 months. It must be hard Ooh. to think back to that last podcast, but yeah. um, we both don't have any transcripts in front of us. But <laughs> maybe you could remember some of the lessons that stand out um, along your, your journey and if you'd like to sort of share your takeaways for, for that um, period, which has been a huge period of growth for you and the organisation.
1: It has. It's it's been incredibly busy, and, and certainly eat up is just this continual process of of learning and and optimization, and us trying to find efficiencies, whether it's in the sandwich preparation model, um, how we engage volunteers, how we deliver the sandwiches. Um, so there's a whole. Breadth of 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 ways in which we've learned, and, and as you know, whether it's through the, the Williamson course we're doing together at the moment, or through the Westpac Social Change Fellowship, I've been really lucky to to be able to do another of a um, number of learning and development opportunities throughout the course of the year. And I think the big one for me is as the Eat Up team has grown. My role personally has evolved a little more from I still love to get hands-on with the sandwich making and drop-off You are very hands-on. You're often driving the. You, you're
0: always <laughs> in one of the normal or stellar. You're always it, driving Norm is out around. front right now, in yep. fact, so oh, normal, oh, normal never far away. but a couple believe she didn't come in to say hi. It's outrageous. <laughs> so she'll come in later on, I'm sure. Good, <laughs> Not too far in. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: right. That's right, but – um, I think the element of, of managing a team and, and different people now across other states and mm. I think we've had the benefit previously of of we've been solely Victorian based so you're, you've got a very one-on-one personal relationship with each of the team members and volunteers but learning how we can systemize each of our steps so we can engage team members and volunteers in other states and replicate what we've done here in a way that's really simple for them to grasp and, and then lead and, and then grow with that so it's kind of been this push from something that's very grassroots. And I think that's probably very much my natural style yeah to something that's now a little bit more, I guess, mature, I suppose. Like the grassroots yeah. are still at the heart of it. But oh,
0: it can be grassroots, it, but I'm curious as to sort of how you process that challenge of scale. I mean, is it something that you decided you wanted? You, um, obviously, at every social entrepreneur's heart is that desire to um, increase the impact and do more to, to serve the population you're looking at. But you could very much easily have. Probably just stayed in Victoria. So um, I'm curious what, what drove you to? do more and make that leap to scale and how have you found scaling? Because I mean, I mean, I know it's always depicted as very exciting and, you know, it's yeah. awesome to be scaling, but it sounds to me really stressful.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces and, and certainly when we became aware of that national level of need and we, we, we saw that the model was working very successfully but due to the volunteer generosity and the support of businesses, mm. um, we just saw that the scope to be able to scale and replicate what we were doing and we were constantly being uh, approached by volunteers in other states saying, Does Eat Up operate in, in New South Wales or Queensland? And even now in Western Australia, we were not active yet. People reaching out to say, How can we start this here? And um, unfortunately, growth in terms of something like Eat Up is always bittersweet because you see the level of need of, of kids in very tough circumstances, mm. um, which is, of course, very, very hard to. To reckon with, but, but then to see that. I never that thought about it that
0: way. That's a really interesting sort of way to put it.
1: Yeah. And, and then I guess it's satisfying that we can see the models able to assist. So that's from a, a reasonably early phase has become a bigger overarching goal, a goal, admittedly, that was previously a lot further away. And now we feel a little closer to, mm-hmm. and there's some way to go yet, of course. But this,
0: sort of when you push out of state boundaries, um, and you go national, does it almost feel a bit like the sky's the limit? Cause that's a whole new, um, sphere to, to traverse, isn't it?
1: Than the national sphere. It really is. But I think we had the benefit of so many of our supporters, yep. be they groups like Coles and Goodman Fielder or volunteer groups, corporate groups like, uh, Ashurst or Swiss. Hmm. They're all nationally based companies. So in, and the fruit box as well, hmm. our cool room space, a lot of the individual pieces of eat up were already there and, and really the whole growth period of of Eat Up has been us, from a logistical standpoint, trying to keep up with the amount of volunteer goodwill that is out there. And and that's probably still the case now. So in many ways, it probably hasn't even been any uh, strategic foresight as much as mm. us trying to to really keep up with the, the generosity. I think you're of playing it down community. there.
0: I think you're playing yourself <laughs> down a little bit there in your strategic now, but I'll allow it. Um, t- tell me a bit, sort of about the value of your brand and um, eat up and, you know, Lyndon, it's it, it's such a strong brand. Um, you know, the, the language is so clear. The mission really straightforward. And when you talk about um, alleviating hunger so kids can concentrate in school and thrive and not be hungry, it is possibly the most graphic but easy to illustrate thing there is, hunger, like local mm. hunger in a privileged, predominantly white, wealthy country like Australia. Um, it's It's quite – the way you do it, I think, is just so strong. I mean, it's very clear immediately what Eat Up's about. You don't even need to explain very much about it. How do you kind of practice or harness the power of that brand to do so much good? And what's what what has it been about the the brand that's been successful in, in your view?
1: I think, like you said, we are so fortunate that it is such a simple cause hmm. to explain and, and one that widely resonates with the, the broader society. And and I think in terms of people contributing as well, giving their time, there's a really tangible outcome. That's at the end of it. They're genuinely making the sandwiches that a hungry child out there is going to eat very shortly after they mm. prepare it. So it's it's not a a complex sort of confusing model to to sort of see how is the contribution of volunteers actually helping. Yes, it, it's this you're actually making the lunch. Well, if I was to draw
0: there, the impact model, it's basically make sandwich, give sandwich, eat sandwich. Everything's great. <laughs> yeah, and, and we
1: we've seen that simplicity as as a core strength. So we've tried our best not to to blur that. Um, I suppose, as as a as an organisation, we've always tried to keep as positive and optimistic about um, the work and, and people's ability to contribute to make a really uh, powerful contribution. We've we've been very intentional about not to sort of, um, I guess it, it's easy to look at issues like this as this is horrible, this shouldn't be happening and, and I guess leverage guilt and yep. things like that and 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 we've tried to show volunteers that they can very easily be a solution to something that we feel um, like so I So that's
0: that's a really interesting contrast because I think um, if you look at a lot of the food scarcity campaigns from overseas, there's the famous old World Vision one where it's just the, the inflated bellies um, and, you know, like severe hunger. Yep. And it was sort of, I mean, I feel it's okay to say this is not like I made it up, but it sort of is a shame mechanism to um, get people to act. But you've gone right the other way. Is there something generationally that's different now that means that it's easier to appeal to people's desire to do good rather than their um, desire to, um, I suppose, dismiss feelings of shame.
1: I, I think so, and I, I think probably our circumstance is a little bit different to to hunger in in developing nations yeah. where it, it's certainly not as extreme as that, and. and in Australia, there are all the pieces, be it access to businesses donating food. Like we have the pieces here where it shouldn't have to be an issue. And, and for people to sort of see that by simply sort of um, helping us make some sandwiches, they can be a part of a really simple, quick fix um, to, to make these sort of days at school a lot easier. I think that's something that we can sort of really, really lead with that rather than uh, and I think like. People people are aware, an issue like hunger where even if you're not directly in those circumstances yourself or have experienced them, mm. we've probably all had days where we've uh, gotten exceptionally busy and, and skipped a meal mm. or or had sort of kids perhaps who have had to do the same and you can see the impact hunger has on them or us personally without having to directly relate to what it might be like day after day. But you can yep. see um, that's something they'd, they'd love to contribute to and it's a simple way to help. But, yeah, I, I feel like I think... Perhaps it was just a bit of fatigue generally in the space. Like I, Traditionally, there was a lot of guilt put across the not-for-profit sector and there's still elements of that, like whether they're people sort of um, trying to push campaigns on the street or otherwise. Yep. But I, th- I think it's just it, – I, I get people can operate their organisations as, as sort of best they feel and, and maybe some causes have different approaches. But I, I guess with something like Eat Up where we feel the, the joy and the optimism of mm-hmm. childhood – that's what we focused on in this respect.
0: So I'm going to ask you a question and leverage that into wanting to learn more about your trip abroad to the US yeah. uh, that you did as part of Westpac because that sounded fascinating. And yeah. I, I followed on the snippets of social that were available to me at the time. <laughs> but um, do you think people get that hunger here is still a problem? Because, is, I mean,
1: is it is that like a, a kind of a known thing? I don't think it's broadly known, like, and I think I'm a great example of that because I had no idea mm. until I read that article in the newspaper and, and, and even when I heard about it in Shepparton, I just assumed that it was a nice, very isolated case. Mm. But then to learn that it's in fact a much broader issue was, was an absolute shock to me. And certainly now when we have sandwich making events or we're letting people know about the issue of hunger, you can tell there's that same sort of shocked response. But once people do hear about it, they're, they're really eager to try and, Um, to try and help and and support. So So it was a
0: big part of it for you like to see hunger in a different context. And I mean, what does hunger look like in the US context, for example, and how do they address it there?
1: Yeah, it was interesting. So I was really lucky to be one of the recipients of the Westpac Social Change Fellowship. And that gave me the opportunity to travel to the USA and meet with different organizations. And just the scale of the USA and say, over 300 million people, the size of the different states and it's it's really interesting to see the, the the level of of hunger that exists there, and as, similar to Australia, I suppose a largely recognised developing nation, but still these very sort of um, significant pockets of disadvantage where people are having a really difficult time, and and seeing the different approaches that be it sort of government or NGOs are taking to trying to alleviate that for people doing it tough. And it's interesting, like in our context of of eat up, of course, mm. um, parents would generally provide lunch for their kids to take to school, but be it the US or the UK, where this, the system's a little bit different where kids are getting their lunch at from the school, school cafeteria at yep. scale. And that was something like it's it's interesting. Sort of we sort of get accustomed to the normal system that we grow up in in terms of lunches that way. And that's just how it's done and, and things to oh, to change that would some. just be impossible.
0: I always love watching in like TV shows from the U S like Beverly Hills or whatever else, like watching them all have lunch (laughs) in the cafeteria together Yeah. and think like, Oh, they all get the same milk box. What if, what if you don't like milk? You know, like it's all, it was just like a fun to kind of watch that play out. Like the the customization, you know, the, the communality of it, I suppose, sort of being together and eating together and being at school together Mm. and how that's just so different
1: here. It's really interesting to see. And, and, like you see a, and a change that enormous and fundamental, you think, is that just too hard? Is that even possible? Mm-hmm. But then when you see it, I got to meet with some of the schools and different organisations over there. And in a country that large and it's working, it's working at scale, it, it's, it's hard to, to, to sort of see that that wouldn't be possible to some extent potentially. And I, I suppose it just – and that's the great thing about travel anywhere is it, it opens your eyes to other possibilities and, and, and to think what could be possible. Maybe a model like that in the future – at scale is viable. Would you um, like to see that? I, I think it will be really interesting. I, I think something with eat up and, and any issue, I think it's just, it's worth trial and error. Like yeah. Try it in certain try pockets it. and see what the response is mm. and and learn the lessons from that and, and gauge some more. Even I know there's some schools, um, there's a school in Marupna, which is very close to Shepparton mm. where they're trialing within their school. There's a school in Frankston that's mm. doing the same. So it'll be really interesting to sort of see see the, the impact and, and how it works. And like, I just think you can't say it's impossible because mm. there are so many huge examples overseas of, of how it could work. Um, but then, of course, l- largely, as, as much as the one in eight statistic is a significant one, uh, for the majority, it's working quite well. So is it, is it switching all the way to that more U.S. cafeteria mm. style or is it finding or bringing a solution for the people who are having a tough time of it? What's the solution? I, I think it's, it's a really interesting discussion. That,
0: and so why did you choose the U.S., just out of curiosity?
1: I've always been drawn to the USA since a very young age, probably because of the scale and, and the size of the businesses there and the innovation and just sort of seeing, I guess, the old uh, New York adage of if you can sort of make something work there, it perhaps can work anywhere. Oh, yeah. And I think like be it organisations and scale and growth, um, they have to sort of stand up to such rigorous um, scale, I suppose, and the number of people who need to, to, to leverage those and and even the diversity of groups you can meet in a relatively concentrated space is really insightful, but also the the fellowships given me the chance to meet with a lot of leaders and still more to come in this year here throughout Australia as well and and New Zealand. So the U.S. was a a component of that, Um, but it was incredible. So I got to spend time with different organizations in Los Angeles, in Las Vegas, in Portland, and in New York, Um, and incredible. So groups be it, and it wasn't just specific necessarily to the hunger issue, but Mm. I got to learn a lot about the homelessness issue through L.A., um, even through different sort of sporting codes, I, I tried to see how they're leveraging their own CSR campaigns and their networks to sort of promote social causes. I got to meet um with at Nike World headquarters there oh to learn God. about digital content creation and how they select their messages and the length of posts and different things like that. Um I met with City Harvest in New York, which mm-hmm. Oz Harvest here was, was based upon and incredibly interesting to learn about their logistics model. Like I've become really, really fascinated in logistics. Since Eat Up started, like I could see you becoming obsessed with logistics. <laughs> I'm not
0: sure why. Oh, the way your mind works, yeah. I could see the obsessional side coming out, like perfecting the logistics chain.
1: It, I find it, yeah, it, I'm really passionate about it now. Like before Eat yeah. Up started, it was like logistics. You think it's one of those to the side sort of issues, but you see how integral it is to every sandwich mm-hmm. we make and deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, an organization, you can imagine how dense Manhattan is and the surrounding boroughs. Mm-hmm. and um to do a full delivery run really in the scope of like they've got a they've got a, a base in, in Brooklyn. So they've got whether it's ferries and multiple trucks and it's it's pretty amazing to see how effectively they make that work and certainly there's a lot of lessons for us to to bring back from that model back here as well.
0: It sounds like it. So I mean you've stacked on a couple of pretty serious um development programs this year with the Williamson Leadership Programme, uh Westpac Social Change Fellowship. Am I missing anything or is it just those two?
1: They're the, the two major the ones, team? yeah. We, we get some other opportunities to learn, whether it's uh, pitching or sharing our stories and then meeting with different industry leaders, I suppose. But in terms of development programs, the, the Williamson course we're doing together is the one that's the most sort of structured, I suppose, in, in, in that learning outcome.
0: And so why is... Why is it that much of a priority for you now and what has it sort of done for you as a person and as a leader to really sort of take the bull by the horns and um, I'd say pull the trigger pretty heavily on two monumental programs <laughs> to accelerate your own development?
1: I, th- I think I recognised that EatUp was at a stage where it was shifting pretty quickly from from that sort of grassroots very locally led one-on-one basis mm. to something that was becoming um, a bit mm. more systematic um, more broader, more larger, and, and their, their skills I just didn't have or, or still am working on in, in terms of being able to lead effectively um, these larger organizations that are replicating themselves mm. and to be able to sort of, uh, from a human resources point of view, to find great people to bring in when previously I've sort of operated purely through personal networks, really, yeah. groups who yeah. are <laughs> helping us from the start, whether yeah. that's anyone in our team, and we've got like such an incredibly strong team, and mm. I think, you know, any organization people are often refer to the founder, which is certainly unfair in Eat case mm. because it's we've got a very strong team now. Whether it's uh, you know Elise Cook, Lindy Susskind, um, Scott Gilmore, Steve Connor, there's so many of us who we work directly with who are key to that us taking that next step and, and I've certainly learned a great deal from the people immediately around me within the team as well.
0: So you t- took a bit of time, I'm guessing, would it have been like late last year to say, here's what I need to achieve or here's what I need to do next year to sort of fill those gaps in my own knowledge, um, experience and um, ability to execute?
1: Definitely. And that was a part of the application process for the Social Change Fellowship was identifying an upcoming leadership challenge mm. of sorts where uh, it sort of showed that it was a particularly integral time, and why it was important that you sort of um, gain some of these skills now. And, and that was at a stage where we had we were had scaled somewhat around Victoria and were just starting to replicate into New South Wales and and Queensland in a very small scale. And um, that was the the challenge at that stage and, and certainly still is now like that's that's the the period we're in at the moment
0: so i do want to ask you about some of the next steps for eat up and what you've learned from the u.s particularly in yeah. a few key organizational visits yeah but maybe before we do that because we're on you we can jump to the humans of purpose plus patreon section where we yeah do a bit of a deep dive you Excellent. and i we've done many a deep dive in private but this is a, a podcast deep yep. dive <laughs> where we ask some of the big questions and uh really just get your get your views which are always i must say fascinating on a range of topics before we do that, I'll ask you a question that's not on the uh, list. How mm-hmm. is the matcha green tea, which is your first? It's trial. delicious.
1: You're seeing a live uh, trial now. <laughs>
0: You're listening to one. It. It's at that perfect
1: temperature right now, <laughs>
0: too. Actually, which makes it all the more it enjoyable. Just, to, to be honest, I don't know why. It just depresses me to see someone saying, "Can I just have a glass of water?" I, I feel like I have to do more. You know, it puts a lot of you pressure. You feel on. rude as a host. Even I feel no, rude. I, I'm very grateful for <laughs> yeah. the water. My pleasure, mate. This section is exclusive to our wonderful Patreon supporter community. If you believe strongly in helping people to traverse a meaningful career and life journey, well, then we urge you to get behind the podcast and support us to make this content each and every week. In doing so, you'll have access to 20% bonus content in every episode, as well as a great range of options for both humans and now organizations too. Just hit the link in the show notes. Mate, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for completing our little Patreon uh, segment for our wonderful community of listeners. There, I hope you enjoyed that. You're welcome. Back big to the thanks main, to the
1: Patreon fans as well. Big, big shout out to the Supporting Patreon, the, yeah, the great fans.
0: podcast. Uh, Lyndon is a big uh, supporter of the Patreon supporters, so there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we'll get back to the main game now. And let's just start by um, saying I am sorry that I didn't earlier recognise that you are now a fiancé. That's do you, right. Do you? Um, how do you feel? And do you enjoy saying my fiancé?
1: I, um, admittedly, I've, I've said, introduced Belinda, who's my fiance, as my girlfriend post that period <laughs> just by habit because it's been such, such a long time of, um, being girlfriend and boyfriend. So still getting accustomed to it. Um, but certainly, yeah, very special. Belinda's been, um, you've been together for a long time. We have actually. Yeah. yeah. So it'll, it'll be, uh, five years mm-hmm. any day now. Mm. Um, should it, certainly should check that, shouldn't I?
0: Uh yeah, no, but I'm pretty sure you've you've given me that, quoted me that figure on the record before, so <laughs> we'll take it as truth.
1: Yeah, that's right. So I, no, it, it's been incredibly special, and and she's someone.
0: Has she been involved it. actively in the organisation, or just as a you know, as all partners are, a highly yep. supportive, um, you know, a, a champion of what you do and a champion of you?
1: Uh, an absolute, very, very highly supportive champion. Mm-hmm. She hasn't been involved in in a formal sense in terms of, I guess. Working within the organization in that context, but from the very early days when we first met um, in Bendigo, uh, where I spent some time living, some time uh, following in sort of and yep. uh, for a, a magazine project we used to work on, that's where we met. And I love so Bendigo. we had like 14 schools. It's beautiful, isn't it? Such a good place. And at that stage, it was still the kitchen table phase of Eat Up, and we used yep. to prepare them on her kitchen table in her house. Yep. And, um and we, and What's
0: that like in the start of a relationship? Look, one thing you have to know about me is I'm very passionate about making a huge amount of sandwiches and taking <laughs> them to schools locally. I
1: don't know if it was a huge sell at that point because we, we'd probably have to spend about <laughs> three hours making these sandwiches. And this was before we'd learned yeah. the efficiencies. We used to actually like write on the cling wrap <laughs> veggie mite for <full> word, <laughs> the date and cheese. Brilliant. Um so it was a lot more time consuming than even it is now as well. But um you know, she, she was very passionate about it and supportive of it as well, which is incredibly helpful and, and still certainly is to this day. Her mum and dad actually live in Mildura and they, so in a lot of the regional areas that are more isolated from Melbourne, we have localized volunteer groups. And in Mildura, her mum and dad and her, her, uh, mum Janet's golf club actually lead the Mildura, um, the Mildura, Mildura chapter, Mildura chapter. So wow. it's not just Belinda, it's actually a, a Luke. Broader Luke family contribution. You you could call it the MC, the the Mildura MC motorcycle club. That's true. Yeah, we've got to get some leather jackets (laughs) built up.
0: A couple of vests with the uh, eat-up coloring would be fantastic. So, look, we were talking a bit about um, lessons from America and some of the places you visited. I'm going to be a little bit selfish here. Um, I love the UFC. We're both big UFC fans, and that is one um, place that I keenly awaited hearing from you about on your travels. What was it like to go to the the home of um, Dana White and all things – mixed martial arts entertainment
1: it was it was quite incredible it's absolutely massive the setup they have there in terms of the the training institute is there they just opened this huge new um it's like a a huge tv studio where they film their contender series if you've seen that Um, and all their headquarters are there as well it's it's a massive massive like global company so it made sense to me I, i when i when i got there saying okay this makes sense but it's so big. and
0: So did you sort of just text Dana and sort of say, hey, look, Dana, I'm not in town for long. I can probably squeeze <laughs> you in at about 4.30 Pen- on Friday. Eight. amongst yeah. some other
1: meetings. But we we had the opportunity. The USC were very generous to us when they had a, an event. So uh, Whitaker Brunson mm-hmm. a couple mm-hmm. of years ago where they had some of their guest athletes come and contribute and help make sandwiches and and support the and the, the efforts we do. The do. fighters
0: were making sandwiches? They were, yeah. That, that is, is very, very cool. they were. Absolutely. Cool.
1: So um, we got the chance to sort of connect with them through that and, and through their Australian sort of representative connected with the core Las Vegas team and would love the chance to sort of sit down and learn more about um, their business model, the way they engage with local causes, their, their global sort of business operations and just their growth story. Like it's, it's really incredible. Anyone who's not, I know certainly uh, the UFC is, is not to everyone's taste, but there's a great YouTube clip. I don't know if you've watched it yet, but where they, so the UFC had their 25th year anniversary mm. recently mm. and um. There's a It goes for about half an hour. It's called Three Guys, Three Letters, and it's about the, the growth and sale of the USC.
0: No, I have to watch it, um, but I must say, even if you don't like anything about mixed martial arts or the sport, what they've been able to achieve as an organization and as a franchise, as one of many, to become the premier franchise in a really competitive market, mm. um, I, I just think they market sport better than any other sports organization.
1: I, I tend to agree with yeah. you, and, and this short piece, it's it, like the... Is it a the, thirty uh, for
0: thirty style, like quite short?
1: Yeah, yeah, thirty minutes, mm. um, and it's it's really about the business story of eat up, uh, eat up of uh, the <laughs> UFC. So <laughs>
0: there will be one uh, won't oh, one yeah. day. But
1: so say for example, the Fatita brothers, who are big in the in casinos in Las Vegas, they yep. bought the UFC for two million dollars when it was in a lot of trouble. Yeah, was outlawed in a lot of areas. Yep. So um, I think it was in the nineties. Uh, Dana White was involved. He was a childhood friend of those. They put over forty million dollars into it and were that much in the hole. Yeah. And they recently sold the UFC for $4 billion uh, a couple of years ago. So that's the documentary is basically about what happened in between those two things. So, which was the highest sale price of any sports franchise club. In the history, and I believe still is. So
0: it, it, it's it's an amazing story, and um, I hear you. You might have been in an elevator or quite close by to um, one of the more notable uh, UFC fighters of recent times. Can you share that
1: anecdote? I was, I was. Uh, I, so the weekend we were actually there for the meeting. Well, the meeting was during the week, but there was a, a fight card on that weekend, and um, I don't know how many of your listeners will be be aware of the results of that weekend. But there was uh, the fastest knockout in UFC <laughs> history. And the uh, the deliverer of that fastest knockout happened to be in the waiting room of the UFC headquarters <laughs> as I was wandering in. What and, was he wearing? Um, uh, he he was is a pretty sharp character. He, is was, it he was
0: Jorge Masvidal. That's correct. Yes, yeah, yep. so it
1: was Jorge Masvidal, and um, I certainly encouraged him to take the front position in the queue if, if he wished. <laughs> I did did not want to disturb or <laughs> was he wearing a like a suit? Him. Was he wearing a
0: suit or just normal?
1: He was he was just wearing sort of fairly sort of casual stuff, but he he's a pretty sharp character and. and didn't sustain any damage from that fight, of course. So he was no. in, in uh, good spirits, and he was there with his management team. But even the hotel we we're staying at, and, and getting to meet a lot of the fighters. And I think there's this stereotype around the fighters um, about it being this really brutal, which mm. it is, but a thuggish mm. sort of sport. But when you get to meet some of those fighters and athletes, and just see that the level of professionalism and mm. dedication, and I think it's the hardest it, it's, sport in the world. It's yeah, there's uh, so to, many to ways. Be, yeah, it's to an lose individual and to be strong, and yeah. Um, very humbling, I imagine, every day that they train. So oh, it's it's, crazy. It, it's really interesting. And certainly when we get the chance to meet with some of the fighters for the previous event, they were all certainly very lovely and giving their time. And mm. um, there's a, an event coming up in Melbourne later in the year, which we, we hope to have the opportunity to work with them again for a big sandwich making, uh, Fighting Hunger. We'll, mm. we'll do that together. Love so, it, love it. <laughs>
0: because, now uh, – I want. Obviously, you know, I, we will continue this talk of UFC later. But I feel like for our, for the sake of <laughs> we'll our listeners and our the, retention, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll just save that for a little bit later. It might be fast forwarding. Yeah, actually. we'll digress a little bit. I did ask you this in our last episode, but many people may not have heard that, or you know, things have grown a little bit since. But what do you do in a world with sandwiches where there's a bit of pressure for a lot of people to stay away from carbs? And I don't, I don't mm. necessarily mean school kids. So mm. it's not your primary market. Maybe is an issue, but. For example, um, gluten intolerance, a whole lot of things like that, and maybe some people are just um, anti-carb. Generally, does just, just the sandwich stuff that you do? Do you ever think about like alternative delivery methods for nutrition or different ways of providing the the nutrition than a sandwich?
1: Yeah, we, we're always thinking of ways. I suppose we can optimize the nutrition of the lunches. Mm, mm. The the primary reason the sandwich has been the core component of of the lunches so far is it's it's something very familiar. To school kids it's something very efficient to prepare and probably for the most part it's because of the practicality of that model to scale in terms of being able to prepare it in large batches but then have it frozen um, either toasted or defrosted and to have this sort of delivery cycle in Melbourne where say there's or Victoria there's two vans and 356 schools so like ideally we would love to if it were to remain sandwiches to start to include whether it's salads or meats to make those sandwiches more nutritious but the the frozen component of it it, it that's what those, makes it yeah those foods aren't going to be safe anymore. But um, certainly whether it's it's other items in time we can can source whether they're um, they do, sort of do you eat, or otherwise do you eat sandwiches yourself? I, I do yeah i do uh, a bit of a sandwich man myself okay good just yeah. checking it's important
0: <laughs> it's it's like you know I wouldn't trust
1: a, a, a very obese
0: personal trainer right and if someone is in the sandwich game I wouldn't know they're eating sandwiches that's, that's the reason I, <laughs> no, advice, I make but, a
1: pretty good cheese toasted uh sandwich myself so no doubt no no i i do i, I do uh, in, in enjoy them no doubt and but I think like there's there's other options of things we can do and and that's kind of like the sandwiches fit the element of scale very well, but certainly if you're looking at it from a nutritional point of view, it, it it's it's the optimal from the scaling point of view, but certainly not the optimal from mm. the nutrition. It's not to say it's it's bad nutrition. No, no, no. But, I, but I think, it, it's certainly like you say, whether yeah. it's it's other options or other um, I items. Think,
0: I think at that age, you're not too worried about that kind of thing anyway. I yeah. mean, the, the sort of markets that you're reaching in, at scale, mm. I mean, probably the last of the concern is is it too. Calorific. I mean,
1: sandwich is a bit of staple of the Australian school life for, for um, decades. And as much as centuries. we can, like we try and engage directly with the teachers, with the schools, yep. and and just simply ask them again and again, what can we do to help? What do you need? What does that look like? And yep. it's like something that's efficient for the teachers to implement, um, non-identifiable necessarily for the kids. So it's a very yep. regular looking lunch that's got no identifying markers on it, um, and certainly if there's in time abilities to scope that based upon their feedback or or change. Um we, we definitely sort of wouldn't. Uh, so yeah, let's let's see what we can add.
0: <laughs> let's see. And I mean, by way of um getting more sandwiches out there, I, I know you've had reasonable relief on sort of pricing and cost pressures through your, your wonderful suppliers and supply chain and um your network. Um what about partnerships with other groups selling sort of that more, more bespoke lunch food or dinner, like pre-prepared mm. meals or catering to do like a one-for-one model where yeah, potentially. You know, they, they're they selling food anyway yeah, and they want to do some kind of social impact thing or to give back mm. in some way. Maybe they can't afford to donate their own product because it's a bit overpriced and expensive, but they could yeah. definitely afford to buy a, a sandwich or a few sandwiches Yeah, part
1: of that. I think the social enterprise model at large within mm. the broader industry is, is so strong and I think – like that's an area we'd really love to start to leverage more of. We haven't done thus far. Like I know one of as a part of the Westpac Fellowship, the trip to New Zealand um, later on. There's an organisation in New Zealand called Eat My Lunch, where they operate on on very similar um, means to what you're suggesting there, yeah. where they prepare lunches for the corporate environment, mm. and then for every lunch they make, they give one to a, a yeah. child in need, and it, and it's a really impressive sort of lunch delivered day of eaten day of. So they'll they'll give lunch to that. Entire school, which, which mm. may be doing it sort of quite tough.
0: It's very um, interesting. The one for one model, I think, can be effective in some cases. And I think this is a case where it could be effective because it's mm. not substituting something out that, you know, a market that was already existing. But you know, the famous example of Toms and Blake, yeah, McCoskey, yeah. where they, Absolutely. they gave all these shoes, yeah. um, to, I think it was Uganda or one of the, one of the African, um, countries. And they found that the impact was it was just displacing local shoe sellers from the market and not yeah. really, not really being that useful overall to the people there. So, um, they did a, um, a bit of a social return on investment there and decided that they would not do that anymore and they changed their model. Interesting. Yeah, so it's fascinating how some of this stuff plays out and yeah. um, you sort of start and then you um, examine after a while and sort of – but it takes a brave organisation, I think, to do that good examination.
1: Yeah, I think so and, and that's a credit to Tom's. Mm-hmm. I listen at mm-hmm. podcast fans mm-hmm. like us. The, yeah, How I Built This is a podcast I listen to a lot and yep. and Blake McCoskey's got a great episode on mm-hmm. there about the – the founding of Tom's and, and that's certainly like an amazing organization.
0: But he's it? open about that. I mean, I mean, I think credit to him for going out there and saying, look, this is what we we're trying to do. Um, this is what we achieved and uh, we did an evaluation. It didn't go to plan for X and Y reasons. So we're now changing. I mean, how yeah. how much more impressed can you be? With oh, the- that
1: that's – it's – it's the best approach yeah. you see like yeah. they're, they're genuinely trying to positively contribute yeah. and it's a great show of authenticity. To it's be sort to.
0: of like um, what I'd compare it to is if you've ever had a bad service experience but a really positive recovery from that um, service failure.
1: Yep. So, yeah. So, you know, like a a,
0: on a plane or at a yep. hotel, what ends up happening is um, you end up more satisfied with the service than you mm. than had you not been aggrieved in the first place.
1: Yeah. You become advocates of, yep. of, of because of you're that like service. the recovery
0: almost supersedes the initial sort yep. of, you know, that baseline kind of happiness. Very true. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's just a little side note. <laughs> All right. So, Linda, I mean, how do you, I mean, you've already touched on a few things, but how do you maintain your own sort of vitality and your health? I mean, you're always in good shape. You're always running everywhere. You you know, you're a a slight man. How do you do it? How do you stay in good shape?
1: Um, well, it's probably just that fairly regular practice of uh, using exercise as an activity where you can sort of decompress and balance. Like, for example, the days where I haven't done something or not, not as a day, like you have a day off every now and then, of course, but consecutive days where i'm not doing it i'm probably pretty unpleasant to be around so yeah. it's just sort of balancing that um and i find like that balance like i was sort of saying whether it's running i find for me it's it's podcasts movies so i go to the cinema a lot yep um how many nights are you in this girlfriend cinema, see there I you work. go fiance and i yeah um <laughs> the a
0: significant lot. other
1: yeah um and then just some solo time yep at balance and like like I touched on a little bit earlier. Do you we'll sleep go- a lot? I do, sleep? I do prioritize sleep, that's for yeah. sure. So. How many hours of sleep do you like to get? Try and get eight. Solid. Yeah. So like who knows, I'm at a point where I don't have any kids or otherwise. So yep. the parents might be rolling their eyes and saying, yep, nope, <laughs> that's going to change. Um, <laughs> they putting any pressure on? Uh, no, no. I think we've got a bit of time off our sleep Good. there. But, yeah, I think um, so too. So it, I, but yeah, certainly I think it's sleep, movies. <laughs> running. I think it seems like a pretty indulgent lifestyle. Do you think,
0: I mean this is a question that's probably going to be a fairly obvious answer for you but is it the you seem to be somebody who really thrives on getting a good creative inputs. So yeah. the, the movies, the podcasts, oh, yeah. the audiobooks. So for you to be kind of firing on all fronts, is that kind of critical to have that creativity sort of streaming
1: in all the time? I think so. I, lo- I love to see content creation Yeah, and then the other thing about whether it's the movies or the podcast, you just you're getting to see things from these different perspectives. Like we live, of course, through our own perspective and our own eyes, but to sort of go into a movie theater for a couple of hours and, and sort of see things from a different point of view and, and pick up different lessons or otherwise or, or even movies where you're just looking to, to unwind and relax. Like I, I think that's really, really sort of important. And I, I like I've always loved, whether it's like uh, magazines or photography, art, like just seeing people create things, music, Yeah, I get really inspired by those sorts of things, that's for sure.
0: And is there anyone inspiring you in the space at the moment that you think I should have a chat to for the podcast or who's sort of really standing out to you um, in your sector or it doesn't have to be your sector, but it's more broadly? 100%. There's a number Mm. of
1: people. So, um, uh, Aaron Tate and Caitlin Tate, who I met through the WireGap program and and Spark and uh, Aaron through Education Changemakers, but both of them have always been incredibly impressive to me since I first. Uh, met them to the the growth they've had since in terms of their, their own endeavors and their family um, so so inspiring to me and and like Aaron someone I spoke to very recently and just lives with a lot of focus and intent like nothing is an accident he's got this yeah he seems amazing, like a very really intense cat yeah <laughs> this sort of master plan and he gets things done and 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 Caitlin is is equally incredible in terms of um, that the growth of Spark and and how she sort of pushed that and, and how she can ga- engage and connect. So when I came through the YCAP accelerator a number of years ago, now um, she had such an amazing manner of helping young ideas to develop. Um, so it's certainly very inspiring to me. Uh, Madeline Buckner, who came through the same um, course as I did, then Dan pool who's been on the podcast, was actually also a part of that. The same. Um, Group of five that we came through,
0: yeah. Oh, so the five of you were in a little group, uh, right? not, not oh, no, so, so Caitlin not and um, Aaron were, were facilitating,
1: it. Yep. But, um, yeah, Dan was a part of it, Madeline yep. was, and it,
0: gee, what a successful little pod that is!
1: Oh, well, uh, Anna Donaldson, who who runs Lively as well, mm. and uh, Christine, who runs Roville Community Kitchen, it was, oh, yeah, certainly like some great stories out of that. We should group do a, a pod podcast a one day where we just Go get that pod together, yeah, and get
0: you all in here just to chat, chat about uh, how it was and
1: yep. how things are now, yeah, no doubt. So that would be a great one, yep. um, I'm sure. And even, I, I don't know personally, but Chris Rain, who's from Hello Sunday Morning. and Yeah. We we're, were lucky uh, to have him on the pod um, last
0: year at the Purpose Festival. Oh, we did a live podcast. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. Good bloke. He, he did.
1: Yeah, he, I know you did the, an MBA at Oxford, like as a part of social entrepreneurship. Which Yeah, as you do. Which amazing. Yeah, yeah just out, sort of so. trundle
0: across to Oxford and get your MBA done. Yes. Yeah. Very so, impressive.
1: So many people out there, as you know, more than anyone.
0: Oh, look, it's an amazing space. I mean, every time I meet a, a new sort of – I haven't met many Linden's, but people – you know, in lower tiers, it's, it's a rare character. name. It's, yeah. it's not a common
1: name. But I mean,
0: just in more of uh, accomplishment and sort of approach. I, I love your attitude. and I always love catching up, and um, it's it's been great fun being with you at the Williamson program this year. Oh, thanks, thanks mate. Like, like, very rice. happy to see your name on the on the list. They sent out this list, and I thought, oh, never heard of any of this. Oh, Lyndon Galaya, excellent, <laughs> excellent. That name stands out, <laughs> uh, mate. Tell me, and our listeners, what I've
1: got do- another name for you, Mike? So Steph DeCampo, who's my buddy, oh, as yeah. part of the Williamson yeah. course. She's the CEO of Ladder, yeah. So the AFL Players Association charity, yep. which works with sort of Well maybe she'd um, be amazing.
0: Spencer. I'd like you to have a word to your mate Steph because right, I, I, I emailed her inviting her to come on the podcast oh, really? and she did not reply. I'll follow up with my buddy. So, on that uh, one. Just a bit of public shaming oh, okay. might work <laughs> in this occasion. So yeah, shout out to Steph. Come um, on, Steph. Please email me back if you're not listening to this podcast. Talk to a minute. <laughs> All right, <laughs> um, but you do have some amazing stuff coming up for Eat Up, and um, why don't you why don't we sort of end the episode by hearing about what's to come for you and uh, what you're excited about for the rest of the year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's going to be an action-packed close of the year. There's only a couple of weeks left of this term 3 and then into term 4 and our hope is to continue to scale throughout Victoria, but we've got a lot of schools yet to reach in in New South Wales and Brisbane is an area we started at more recently, but the need has been the highest of any state we've operated in previously and and um we and the volunteer demand has been incredibly strong. So we'd love to particularly sort of get um, some additional help on the ground in Brisbane to spread that support and to be able to help skills there. That's the big focus for us. Um, we'd love to sort of engage with more of those uh, different organisations within the space to sort of accelerate the growth and impact of, of the work we're all collectively doing to try and alleviate hunger, be that for school kids or, or other groups as well, anyone who needs the support. So that's something that I'm you know, really focused on personally. And of course, Eat Up on our, and our crew, we're uh, very, very firmly focused on. And how can people
0: help you or support you if anyone's listening that is interested in doing so?
1: Yeah, we'd we'd love the support. So great ways to come along to a sandwich-making event. So we've got one coming up. Uh, We always have a really large one the day before a new school term starts back. So not totally confirmed yet, but very likely to be on Sunday, the 6th of October uh, in Melbourne, most likely held in Collingwood. Mm -hmm. There'll also be a Brisbane event, which I believe is also on the 6th as well, which is held in Morningside. Fair share, incredible organization. They've got an amazing facility up there. They let us use their space. Um, huge amounts of inspiring people there for podcast yeah, content. Yeah, their
0: is great. As well. Big fan.
1: Um, And, and then whether it's the, – the big item we don't get donated at the moment is cheese. We may have touched on this last time, so unfortunately – So the cheese issue I, is still I, an issue. Yeah, I haven't solved cheese okay. the cheese issue since we last spoke. So
0: if anyone here um, listening this time around has cheese, now is the time to speak up. Yeah, be or there, cheese like connections
1: from, from a cheese company or PFD or Bidfood. Mm. Um, at the moment – we spend about 15 cents per slice of cheese. We're spending nearly $60,000 a year on cheese alone oh with God. the number of sandwiches we make and, and deliver. You're like a so mouse we'll make, kingdom of some kind. We are, yeah. That We, we pick up from PFD and the guy's <laughs> like, what do you guys do? What, what are you doing with Why all do this Why do you cheese? need all this cheese? Yeah. It seems like a lot of cheese. Yeah. He's like, is this a mistake? <laughs> um, so that that's a, a, a big one for us and a lot of the public fundraising effort goes to help us be able to get that cheese. But certainly if there's any people within the industry, even like it's at a point now where that's a big amount to donate, but- if we can find someone who's able to help us with mm. a cost price or otherwise, or something, some point there, that would be a huge help.
0: Terrific! So, for our listeners, uh, we're talking cheese. We're talking come along to the sandwich making event. And why don't you tell us your details on uh, if people want to connect with you and learn more about your work? Yeah, um, email, social media,
1: absolutely. So, uh, just as Lyndon Galia on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. um, on Facebook, Instagram, Eat Up is as Eat Up. Oz AUS on Facebook, EatUp Australia on Instagram. We'd love to connect there and engage with other groups. My email is linden at eatup.org.au and our website is eatup.org.au. Mate,
0: awesome. Looking forward to continuing the UFC conversation. That's right, Mike. We'll continue
1: this uh, off the of mic. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. Fantastic. Thank you very much.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word-of-mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to
1: humansofpurpose.com.